Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we've got a really special guest, Jason Barofka. He's from Salinas, California, and he's a super accomplished professional tournament angler, but he's also kind of better known as JT Barofka's dad. Uh, We've got a lot of good information in this podcast, and we really enjoyed talking to him. Hope you guys do as well. All right, guys, we are back, and we've got... As introduced in the intro, uh, Jason Barofka. What's going on, dude? Hey, how you guys doing, man? Thanks for having me on. Man, it's our pleasure, dude. Uh, you know, we, we know all about you, and I know a lot of our listeners do. I kind of, in the intro, I talked a little bit about kind of your fishing resume and, um, you know, that you've got kind of a whole fishing family, but um, we'll, we'll get into it a lot more. But what, what are you up to right now, man? What are you doing these days? Where are you at right now? You know, right now, uh, just kind of, actually, kind of taking the year off here, just taking care of my my kid. As you guys know, he's he's not uh, he's been sick, so yeah, just kind of taking the year off. I'm actually focusing more on our uh, G rig company here, making um, G funk baits is really blowing up, and our rigs getting really popular. You know, it's, it's it is hard for me to sit on the sidelines and and watch everyone fish this year, but uh, you know, we got some plans. We'll be back fishing the, as soon as we can, and and uh, yeah, for right now, I'm just taking my time when i get to go fishing i'm just going trophy hunting trying to just catch a big one or just have some you know go out fishing with some family and some friends and just just having a good time not not worrying about any tournaments or anything right now awesome awesome and so when you say you're working uh you're working you know at the company and stuff i know you're you're building rigs right now do you have like a uh, a warehouse or an office or do you do it from your house what uh, what's your situation there well, actually, we're at my uh, my buddy's house here, and um, we used to have we had this little shack in the back. And we just called it the the G the G rig shop, the V rig shack, or whatever you want to call it. It was a little little thing. We just built them in there, and then we um kind of migrated to the garage here, and now the whole garage has turned into a shop. <laughs> uh, we are um we're kind of getting out of this place here pretty soon. Hopefully, sometime in the spring, we'll actually have our own shop, and we'll be uh up producing other products too as well so um things are going good but yeah we're we're still in the in the house here uh, it's a great way since both of us are are working uh you know we do have a few people that are helping us build stuff but they're not uh, they're just building from home but until we get some uh, full-time employees uh we're going to stick it out in here it's just uh, an easy way for us to grow the company and and uh we're making more money by just hanging out here in the, in the garage here yeah, yeah i love sense. it man Dell Computers started in Michael Dell's garage, so I think uh, you're right on the path to greatness, right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, free soon we'll have stocks. <laughs> there, there you go. I'll be I'll be one of your primary shareholders. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jason, this is Rob. I've uh, I've Google searched your name. I don't think you and I ever crossed paths in the Western tournament fishing at all, but uh, I've got a couple questions for you. One, you said yeah. you go trophy fishing a lot. Uh, and I, I read something about how you've caught multiple 10 pounders. How many 10 pounders have you caught and were they on purpose? Were, were you tournament fishing? What was the deal? Uh, you know, when it comes to numbers here, I mean, um, I'm up around the, I, it's, uh, it's about 125 or so somewhere around there. <laughs> you should wow. see Nick's face. What? You should see Nick's face right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, I mean, a lot of my close friends around here know, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I was doing it kind of right around before, uh, social media was really blowing up and, 
you know, I had MySpace and I showed some pictures on there, but even back then I didn't even have a cell phone with a picture. So I had to use a disposable cameras and take pictures of them. But, you know, I kept a record and, um, did that, but you know, I, I, I really was, I was definitely into tournaments early on when I was like 17, 16, I wanted to fish bass tournaments. I wanted to do all that. But, um, you know, and then I got obsessed with just swim baiting and, and it was on the early days. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of guys throwing swim baits around here. You know, it was, uh, probably the pre days of the big bass posse, you know, you guys all know about them, but up here in Northern California, we, we had a lot of little lakes fully stocked with trout. They didn't see a lot of as much pressure as they had, you know, as they have now. And, uh, you know, swim baiting was a little bit, it was easier, even though we didn't have all the high tech swim baits then, you know, I think my, my go-to was, <laughs> was the, um, MS slammer. I had a big old nine inch MS slammer, the rainbow trout color. And then I had Osprey swim baits all, I mainly just threw the nine inch Ospreys mostly. I have a few, few like 12 and 13 inch size Ospreys, but, um, you know, I kind of just went around and I, I started fishing and, and doing that with the swim baits. And it was like a two side addiction. One, I wanted to fish tournaments and then the other, I just wanted to catch as many big ones as possible. I wanted to get, you know, I still want a 17 or 18 pounder. I know that sounds ridiculous when people say like, well, you're crazy, man. You want a 17 or 18 pounder. I mean, I've got some teenagers, but I've never got, you know, I never broke into the 16 pound range. Like some of the guys I know around here have. And, you know, I always wanted to do that. It's just a lot tougher now, but, um, I was yeah, I mean, say, it's gotta be getting tougher to, to try to get one of those giant fish. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I've, I've, you know, in, in my whole ta- lifetime, you know, I've had, you know, just a handful, maybe, I don't know, I'd say four or five opportunities where, you know, I either missed that fish or I had hooked that fish and uh, just, just never got it. Uh, or, you know, just seeing them is one thing. I've seen plenty of big ones. I've seen, I've seen fish that were just, just blow your mind in some of these lakes. And, um, and, you know, it's just, uh, it was, it was a time I want to say, uh, not that I'm that old, but it was a long, it was a time long ago when it was definitely easier. And, uh, there was just more of them. There was more of them. And, um, we, we went through a big transition back when the muscle, um, quagga muscle thing came to California. And right when they did that, they cut 1200 bodies of water from trout plants. I mean, they just, really? no trout plants. Yeah. Everything. Casitas, every little lake stream, everything all over California, they shut them down because all the state and all the, um, they said the states and, and all the counties were worried about water coming from somewhere else that they didn't know. And it, it spread so fast. It was just shut everything down. So, you know, we had a good two years after that where we still had some big fish, but, uh, after that, it just kind of went downhill. So, you know, you could still go to the Delta and catch them. The Delta heydays were, before they started doing all the spraying and stuff, there was some monsters. I mean, that's where I've, I got my, my, my PV is a 15 and a half out of the Delta. Not um, on a swim bait, probably. It was. It was on no a nine way. inch Osprey. No Nine way. inch Osprey. Uh, yeah, I, I'll never forget that day. I was actually, I was going to drive all the way from Salinas. This is where my home It's two and a half hours of Delta with my buddy. And I was like, let's go practice. And I remember driving halfway there. We are caught in a big storm. And I was just like, dude. And he's like, well, let's just go fish, you know, near the launch. We won't go that far. And, and uh, I was like, I'm just going to throw a swim bait, man. It's nasty weather. It's warm, but it was nasty warm weather. And um, I only caught two fish that day. I caught a 15 and a half and one that was just under 10. 
two two bites. That's all I had. Slow day, <laughs> day brutal. Yeah, sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are those are some good times, you know. And and uh, you know, I've I've, I've managed to. Uh, I got eight double digits in competition. So you know, there's there's some there's some. Uh, so those are some bragging rights, you know. Nothing, nothing. Uh, no no twelves or anything, but ten pounders. But um. You know, it's just uh, that was that was something that was really cool, and it taught me a lot about how to locate big fish, um, how to how big fish act. They're completely different animals, especially in clear water. They're like a completely fish, different fish. Once you get over that nine pound size, and you start to get into that high elevens, into that thirteen pound size, those fish are they're a totally different bass. They um they do different things. Sometimes they're super shallow in freezing cold water, so they just do completely different things and, and uh if you they on the water long enough and you, you spend a lot of time staring at them man it's uh blows you away they're just uh they're like so smart it's like is that a real fish or is that a person so they, you know swimming around but uh yeah i mean i i um gosh i got stories for days with that but we we even used to troll them we used to troll swim mates you know one of my favorite swim mates i used to troll with my buddy um cory he listened to this he's gonna be like oh man you give up our secret i was like and i'll be like dude hey, that was worry, no one's cool. listening jason it's cool <laughs> yeah i'll <laughs> yeah. give you a pack of, yeah uh, don't worry no no one listens to these guys but yeah, exactly. no it was a you remember that castaic trout with the they had a hard head and a and a rubber tail and had a bill oh, yeah. a crankbait oh, bill sure. this was like one of the originals so, dude yeah the original one we, we buy we buy the 12 inch ones the big 12 inch ones wow. and and what we didn't know, but now I look back at it, it was probably illegal. I would run a wire leader over the top, and I'd put two hooks on it, two treble hooks. And then on the bottom, I'd run the big treble hook and then two down the bottom. So this thing had like five trebles on it. And um, we had these big reels we put 40-pound mono on. And we there was one lake near us. It was Los Banos Creek. And um, and uh, it's it's the, the Los Banos Creek's not near as good as it was was back then but we would literally just lay fly line those things out there and turn the trolling motor on high and just go in a complete circle around the whole lake but it took us about four and a half hours and we'd be out of battery but you'd just be trolling along and it's not like real bass fishing so you know you know, we're, we're just trophy hunting we don't we're not out there flipping and making a catch it's just and you just be like boom and they load up and sometimes you, in those big baits and they're down deep and they're hitting the bottom at 25 feet because what happens is they would go down and they they'd purposely crack and they'd fill up with water so they'd just sink to the bottom and um we would just grind the bottom like a big square bill and you just load up and you're like it's on it's, and a lot of times you catch two at a time i mean I, I think my best two at a time on that i know i caught one that was a double digit and one at seven i had both of them connected to it <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah i mean you know those those those, those things those things really taught me uh, a lot about where fish go how they position um gave me a lot of confidence on on uh filling out big fish water and and it really helped me uh in the future as far as hey. just being constant tournaments on big fish right on so rob's got a question here yeah yeah so uh, another thing that i saw researching you um you caught a fish three different times and my question about that is how big was that fish how did you know it was the same fish and what techniques did you catch them on did you catch them on the same technique every time yeah, that, that I, I know. I do. Yes, I, I do remember that story. Cause that was a that was a actually an emotional fish for me because that was the down the the that was my favorite lake going downhill, and that was the end of it. Um, that fish. So 
I did catch that fish three times, and every time it was a double-digit fish. Um, the reason I knew is I wish I would have took a picture, showed the picture of the other side of the fish. It actually had a triangle-shaped cutout in its gill plate. So I, it was so strange. Like, you could stick your finger in it, and it oh. was in the bone part. It was in the bone part. It never healed. Huh. And, and I remember catching that fish. I don't I, – I, I, I know what I caught it on the first time, I think. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a buzzbait. And, really? Um, it was a but so this fish lived on the same bank at the same lake. Now this Lake Coyote Lake that I used to fish, all my friends know I fished it a lot. Like I would go literally 27 to 30 days straight in a row. Sometimes I would only fish it three or four hours, but I would get up, go there in a couple couple hours, then go to work, then get back. And my days off, I'd spend the whole day there. Um, it was loaded with 10 pounders, loaded. I think everybody in the South, South Clara area that's about my age that has a double digit fish, almost all of them have caught it out of that lake. And, uh, and so now this that, one fish, and now that lake's yeah. no good, no good. It's done. They stopped oh. planting trout. Um, they just completely stopped planting trout. And unfortunately they didn't, uh, regulate the fishing. The, the area got really, is it's just heavily pressured. I, I mean, when it went downhill, it, um, it was sad. The fish switched to bluegills. We would catch, you would catch tons of eight pounders. You can tell they're kind of shrinking, um, shrinking in girth size more, and they just weren't healthy. And then, um, yeah, and then they got just got wiped out by as soon as the minnow fishermen found it. The, so the lake is only about two and a half miles long, two miles long, I'd say, at full pull. So it's very small. And um, but that that fish was actually I caught it on the same bank. And then the next time, I, it was either I caught it on a cinco or a, a crankbait, but I did catch most of my double-digit fish out of that lake on crankbaits and um, on on big deep diving crankbaits. Actually, my biggest five bass one I caught out of that out of that lake was on a uh, when right when the Lucky Craft twenty-foot diver came out. It was on that chartreuse shad color on a, on one brush pile, and um, yeah, I had. I had a, a 51 and a half pound bag there with a, with a 13 was my biggest out of the, out of the bag. That's insane. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, so, you know, those lakes are, those lakes are amazing lakes. There's still great lakes and there's going to be 10 pounders all it. There's always a 10 pounder in every lake, no matter what, what lake it is. There's always going to be one, but that was so jam packed. And like I said about being easier and different back then, it was, it was just, a, it was, it was different. I mean, I had, I had spots like this spot was called the 30 pound tree. Um, you know, we have, we have the easy lunker point. My, even my wife, this is how easy it was. My wife's caught a couple of double, double dibs out there. Um, not, not, I'm sorry, Tara, if you listen, I don't mean to. Dab, dab, but, well, hey, I was going to ask you about that because she's a angler, but was she like newer to fishing at the time, dude? You know what? She, she knew how to fish. It was, it was, I didn't know. And we went, I remember kind of going, taking her fishing and she just grabbed the rod and started casting around. And then, um, she would, I noticed like I would walk down the bank ahead of her and then she would get competitive and she would like run ahead of me, you know, oh, like, wow. in front of me. Nice. And then she was, yeah. And, uh, as soon as we got into it, she just, she loved it. She started to, um, to, to fish and start learning how to cast a bait cast in the backyard when I wasn't around. Then all of a sudden she started going fishing when I wasn't even around. That's funny. And, um, Cool. And that just, that blew me away. Um, at that point, we were still dating at that point. And, 
And uh, she, yeah, she was. Uh, she's even caught like she got one out of coyote off the bank. It was almost ten all by herself. She took her little brother with her. That's um, crazy. Yeah, she's. You know what? Like, there's not very many women in the sport. It's growing though. There's more now than there was. And uh, I've fished and part like you, you know, we've drawn, drawn, um, I've drawn at least half a dozen um, women as far as the co-anglers go. Yeah, and likewise. And uh, and you know. There's not a lot, but you know, there's there is some that are really, really good and stuff, you know. And Tara, she has, she has her, um, you know, her own mechanics, I would say. But as far as reading the water and aggressiveness, she's really, really awesome. I, I remember uh, one guy, you know, well, Roy Hawk. He uh, Tara drew Roy down at Lake Mead, and and uh, after the, t- you know, he came out of the parking lot, and she's hanging out with the girls, and came up, he's like, dude, man, he's like, you know, he's like. I don't draw that many girls. I thought like Tara's gonna show up with some little drop shots and some, you know, just little <laughs> wormy rods. And no, she busts out a double buzz bait in the G rig like first thing in the morning and slams a four and a half pounder behind me. Um, you know, it's, awesome. it's it's yeah, it's awesome. It, it's been great. You know, we we love traveling and doing that stuff. And she loves competing in anything she does. She's all super competitive and and. uh, She's got, you know, she hasn't been fishing in, uh, as a culinary all that long, but she's been very successful at it so far. Um, and, uh, have, and, you know. Have you guys fished some team tournaments together also, you and your wife? Yes, we have. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We um, we fished a whole team circuit at the uh, Wombass uh, team event, which at the time was, was large at the Delta. We fished one whole year there. We, we kind of just pick and choose things. And uh, we like to go to those. She likes to go to those. Um, you know, those kind of specialty tournaments where it's like hunt, hunt one big bass, you weigh it in, those kind of things. Yamamoto Big Bass Challenge or the nice. Berkeley Big Bass Challenge they used to have. Uh, yeah, she she loves the competition. She loves doing it. She likes running around me and, you know, we practice together. And, and she actually practices really good. You know, she's, she knows as soon as we hit the water, it's it's not – you know, it's game time. We're we're running around. We're not, you know, pulling pulling over somewhere and like getting a suntan. We're just we're working. You know, <laughs> she loves it. You know? What uh, what tips do you have, dude, for guys that like are gonna fish a tournament with their wife to not kill each other out on the water and like not be bickering back and forth? Because like, dude, my first the, the one and only tournament I took my wife to was a night tournament. And uh, long story short, I ended up accidentally elbowing her in the head when she was trying to get the net and uh we ended up leaving the tournament two hours before way <laughs> uh you know um i think i think at first i think us guys i think i think uh i had to just make sure to tell myself i'm just gonna be patient you know be a suit patient not expecting you know don't don't expect a whole lot you want to you know no matter what it's almost like you just want everybody to have fun. I would say pick a tournament that's not raining. You know, okay. Yeah. That, that so happened to us. That wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful weather. You want nice, fun weather. And and if you're going to go to the tournament ahead of time, plan something like a fun thing. Like go like go to the tournament, maybe go, hey, fit somewhere where you can go wine tasting or something. Do that and go practice and make a, make a fun time out of it the first time and the second time and the third time. And then after that, They'll get, you know, they'll want to see the competition. If they do good and they catch one, you know, it's it's all good. I mean, just uh, take your time. You know, I see a lot of my friends go and they fish tournament with, and it's yeah, it it blows up in the face because you know, we get excited. You know, we're excited, sure. we're passionate yeah. about it, and it, and and it's it's the same kind of thing I say when 
if you want to take a kid fishing, don't go when it's tough. Go when it's a wide open bite, and it doesn't matter what the size is. Same kind of thing um, if someone wants to take their wife or girlfriend. You know, go when it's a wide open bite. So at least you're catching something and you're having fun and, you know, high-fiving. You know, don't take – yeah, just take your time. That's and cool. It'll, it'll work. That's great advice, dude. That's great advice. Uh, and, yeah, I'm sure a lot of a lot of listeners have probably seen uh, seen your wife at tournaments and stuff like that. So uh, it's cool cool you can do that together. Uh, before we go too much yeah. further, I, so uh, for the listeners, the listeners probably know you just as much as an angler as they do uh, know you for, as, like, JT's dad, man. And uh, for the listeners that are not aware of, uh, of who JT is, your son, could you just give, give uh, us and them a little bit of background on uh, – on JT and, and the challenges that he goes through every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so JT, uh, JT is going to be two years here next month. So um, he was born September 13th. He's two, almost two years old. And uh, uh, we had JT and, you know, we, uh, we uh, just like everybody else, you know, your first kid, he's our, we were only first and only, only kid. And uh, we were really excited and, it was awesome, and, you know, the whole thing. We got him out of the hospital and, and all, and I think it was um, – I'm going to kind of – I could I could talk about this for a long time, so I'm going to kind of just give you guys uh, – No rush, get too dude, but just, about yeah, it. whatever. But, uh, yeah, so, so you know, we – say about a month and a half goes by, and, and um, we took him to his – I might have the dates this wrong, but a month, about a month and a half, a month and three quarters, yeah, about two months, we go by, and we had took him to this, uh, a doctor appointment, and we we did notice that JT looked a little pale, but you know, being our first child, we, we don't really know. You know, it's it, it just didn't didn't notice like oh he's you know he's a too pale kid. And I remember uh, going to the hospital, and um and uh, we had a, a test done. Uh, they wanted to do a run a test, and they ran a a blood test on him. Actually, I'll take that back. We went to our local hospital and uh, had some blood work done for JT just to just to check him out, and uh, so. We they told us to go back up to Stanford. If if anybody's heard of Stanford Children's Hospital, it's one of the top children's hospitals in the whole entire world. And um, we went up there and we they ran another test. And I remember sitting there, and the doctor that we were talking to was like, "Oh, your test time came back." And she's like, "Yeah, JT looks pale." And then oh, they came in. She looks at the screen and goes, "She just literally said, oh my God, he needs a blood transfusion right now.'" Huh. And and then that was the start of it. We're like, "What?" And next thing I know, we're in the hospital for three days. Um, and, and, uh, and then that was like the beginning. So they were the, the next month or so Stanford is trying to figure out what's wrong with JT. They couldn't pinpoint it. He had a blood transfusion. Um, his uh, results were looking good. They came back up, but his hemoglobin level, which is something you can look up, but his hemoglobin level was low and there was just different, there's like, Two, three pieces of paper with all these things on it and it, stuff didn't start to add up. And one of the cell doctors there that mostly deals with cancer, blood cells, um, he took over and took a look at it. He's, he's, uh, now he's, he's about 75 years old. He's been around for a long time. He's been doing this his whole life. And he's like the ex, the, the main guy there. Uh, he just basically after a while and meeting with us for a couple of days, he, um, he said, look, something, uh, I've been doing this a long time. Something's up. I don't know like what it is, but uh, I can't figure it out. But we have a new metabol, like a new test, a brand new gene panel test that, that uh, I want you guys 
I'd like him to take. It'll check out the rarest things in the world, like things that I've never seen possibly. If that's the case, then we'll know. So, um, so I, uh, I, I basically, uh, we, we agreed to it. Yeah. And he fought that insurance didn't cover it. We got the test done and, um, we got the test done and, uh, and then they said, Oh, we got it done. We, we took the test and then, uh, we had to wait a long time. It took a long time for that to go, go through. And we actually were at the FLW, uh, Costa Lake Mead tournament at the time. We just finished up that tournament. And we had an appointment the very next day. So we headed home and the appointment at Stanford. And that's when they told us uh, what happened, J- what JT had. And um, it was, yeah, we were pretty much devastated, man. They walked in and basically just told me that, um, you know, he, he's he's uh, got two to five years, no more than five years. And uh, they there's absolutely 100% there's nothing they can do. Wow, and um, yeah, man, it's uh, <laughs> I can't. Even, <laughs> I'm trying not to break down here, but uh, yeah, it's uh, every time I think about that, you know, it's it's been um, you know, it was like the worst day of my life. I was like, I, um, oh yeah, I, I uh, we just were devastated. We didn't know what to do, and uh, we basically went home and cried about it for you know a long time. And I I just uh, I you know we had basically I, I looked up the disease and I was like you got to be kidding me. There's not even anything on the internet. What is this? And they didn't even know. They've never even seen it. It's never even been on the West coast of the U S and, um, it's a metabolic disease called TPI. And, uh, that's short for triosphosphate isomerase deficiency. And, um, and it's just so rare. It's like a one in 500 million, one in 700 million in the population of the world, um, gets this. And it's, it's it it's a metabolic meaning it's, it comes from a genetic uh, mutation from from either two people have to come together that have this rare mutation wow. rare thing and then make that so with a metabolic disease it's not um, with a me- rare with a metabolic disease it's not like a disease like any like a, something that you have to inject into somebody and it fights the disease off with in his case it's just a piece missing. It's just a plug. It's like one con- and a compound. And a compound can be anything. It could be a, a plant. It could be a, um, a man-made chemical. It could be anything. And, that, and that's how he's going to have to get cured. Well, we sat there for a while and, and really just, I mean, we just kind of wrap our heads. It was just, it, it was terrible. And we just tried to figure out what we are going to do. And I, I told, uh, you know, I started looking around and see if there's any research done on it. And, uh, and then I just, we both, Terry and I both decided, like, we got to do something because if we just sit back and curl up and wait for the answer, there's not, it's not going to come. And, uh, and we got to fight for him. So we decided, and, and we knew we had a kind of a large social media platform from fishing and our fishing family and just friends in general Heck yeah. in our community. And, uh, and we, we decided to open the the whole world up to our lives and be honest and talk on camera on cameras and and do things and be just as proactive as we possibly can, and and uh, and we we uh, we even I remember getting the first estimate from the doctor at Stanford. And I I told him I was like I'm serious. Like I want to figure out how much does it cost to run a lab. I don't care. Just give me a price. And the, their first estimate was five million dollars to get a small lab going, and and um. 
So I said, fine, we got to come up with $5 million. Uh, about three weeks later, we ended up running into the one person in the world that actually studies this and, and, you know, he's, he's in the U S we couldn't believe it. And where's um, he at? The university of Pittsburgh, Michael Palladino at the university of Pittsburgh. And he runs the TPI lab. He's been studying this rare genetic disease for 14 years. He said that when he came across it, he actually had five different, different rarest things in the world to pick from. And he basically just said, you know, I'm going to pick this one. And that's what he, he actually teaches in the university. It's, you know, it's not like he has students coming in the in there and they do the research with them and this and all this goes on. Um, and it's just a coincidence that all this happened at the same time where he started to get a little more popular and, and he got on the Internet and we found him. Next thing you know, we're raising money like crazy. We're doing everything. We hired a – we have this, this whole plan. We had some people that – and we didn't hire, but they volunteered to kind of help us put a, a plan together on how to get JT popular. Because you know, there's there's millions of sick children in the world. You know, I mean, what's what's the diff? You know, the difference between my child and the other ones are in, in trouble. And the one difference is we have to make him popular. You know, have to be show his story, show his face, and you know, show the world what 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 he's going through and uh and then we'll, we'll get some help because Tara and i aren't rich we don't we never really wanted to, i mean I, yeah i want to have, have money but we're not you know we, we just we just live life man we don't you know we just don't we don't come from um yeah you know wealthy families or anything we just we're just uh people just living life every day like every, like most people and just enjoying things and and uh yeah so we we worked hard and um you know it a long fight we're still fighting and we're, we're not giving up it's just uh it's been a long time and long fight and we've had just i mean i want to say just thousands of people come to us and want to help and share a story just like you guys you know just things like this is this is i mean you might you know you know you kind of you say there's not that many listeners but there's someone in there in this on this podcast listening right now that you know might know how to either help us or do something or you know Generate something, so, share it with somebody, and uh, and and we're fighting. We're fighting. JT's struggling. He uh he went one whole year looking completely normal, and this is what happens to these kids: is they they look completely normal. They told us this was gonna happen until about eighteen months, eighteen to like 20, 22 months, and then something's gonna happen. They're gonna get sick, and and um. And then all of a sudden, their muscles are going to get completely weak. And what it does is it weakens your muscles to the point to where it weakens your diaphragm. You can't breathe. So if he gets, a, say, an infection, say, like a, some kind of cough infection or something, it could literally just – he'll be in the hospital and it, it could kill him. And um, so he's really weak. And, and uh, right now, he got, he got sick. He had a stomach flu back in last October. And um, up until that point, you can't even tell. I mean, if you look at the huh. pictures, you can see – Online, he's just a happy little baby, just like normal. Well, Rob mentioned that. He said yeah. he's the happiest looking little kid I've ever seen, man. Yeah, well, they, he's so happy, and he he's, he has a great smile. And I don't, you know, he's he's a handsome kid. There, you know, everybody's like, oh, my kid's the best looking kid in the world. But <laughs> you know, he's even been approached like when we were doing this by um, how Carter's Clothing Company hit us up and wanted to know if they can use his photos and laugh for for their social media, wow. you know. And like cool. he's a great kid, and and I and I, and he's just he's is the happiest kid 
I've ever seen. And, and he's just, his personality is so awesome. And he's so sweet too. Like he's such a sweet kid. He's not, never gets mad. And, uh, and you know, he just, he was so happy and going and then he got sick and then, man, it just happens fast. And before you know it, three months later, we're in the hospital Four three and a half months later, we're in the hospital. And he has, he went from being a happy baby to breathing through a tube. And now he has, he has to get food put in through his stomach. So he can't eat, he can't talk. Um, and he's on life support in our house. And, um, can't imagine, it's, it's, man. It's, 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 uh, yeah. I try to tell people, you know, don't, don't try to imagine it. Just try to imagine him getting better and, um, what it's going to be like when he does, you know? Cool. And, uh, and, that's, and that's, yeah. And then, so we're still, we're still going. It's just this COVID thing has set us back so far since March. His lab is, has not been running. They can't have anybody in there. And, um, it's just we're just sitting around waiting for COVID to end, basically. Yeah, what a what a scenario. Because as you've been kind of describing the, you know, from when he got sick onward, I was just thinking like, and then you throw in the fact that there's a, a worldwide pandemic going on, which is a respiratory virus, you know, and then with the the as you outlined, kind of the weakness with the muscles. I our heart breaks for you, man. What a what a challenging and and difficult um, position for you and and Tara to be in. But I. I Sure, I speak for all three of us. How much, like you said, the rather than sitting back and and doing nothing, taking massive amounts of action is just. I mean, it's it's gives you goosebumps how inspiring that is. And we're just checking out uh, your SaveJT.com website, and uh, you kind of give give everyone a, a like you said an honest, transparent look at uh, your lives and what you're doing, and uh, that's. It's amazing, man. I admire you. I, it's, you're incredibly strong. You and your wife are incredibly strong. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. I, you know, from coming our side, we don't really notice it. People don't tell us that, but it's like, I just, I think we're just doing what, what we do. You know, we've always done, just do it, just get it done. And with this, we yeah. can sit back and yeah. And, and if anybody listens and you want to look more in depth, I mean, you got his website there, there's two links, one to his Instagram and one to his Facebook and um, we have literally recorded, I would say, at least 80% of his doctor visits at some point or another. And if you want to really see what what really happens and what's going, you can see the stages he's gone through and everything he's gone through. Um, it's all there for the whole world to see. So, uh, wow. and, and uh, yeah, I invite anybody to check it out. There is, there, you know, and um, that, you know, you don't, there's a couple of links there, one to the lab, which the lab is still, it's still like running, it's just barely running. It's just the, our doctors in there keeping it going, keeping the fly samples going, keeping it, it's, it's a big operation. You guys, I was blown away and we've already got, a, we're over $300,000. We have a three project to things to complete. Each project is 250,000 bucks. We've already completed one. We got two more to go. And he's there. They know between the doctors here and with all, everything that's happened right now between as soon as JT showed up, they know for sure that it is a curable disease. It's just a matter of time before they run into that compound, and they just got to go through the screening. They know by wow. the structure of it, it's totally curable. It's just never been studied at this level. Even the, the Dr. Michael Paladino said, you guys have changed my life. The school is involved because of the media. Um, he's getting grants, and we're helping too. And also we got two other families now in Europe that are, that are raising money, doing the exact same thing we are because they're two kids. Um, have the same thing. We we pump right. them up. They're good. You know, we got that. I can talk to them, and they're attacking their media, obviously. But with the setback in the whole world, everything's changed. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's yeah. really so encouraging that's to hear, man. I mean, that is uh, that's great, and it's amazing you guys have been able to do that much so far. What What are some of the things? You know, I know that COVID is going on, but what What are some of the things that you guys have in the in the pipeline? I know there were even a couple bass tournaments that you guys have been able to hold, and then I think you said there were a couple that did get postponed, right? Yeah. So we've uh, we, our whole basically the whole spring, early summer, everything. Um, from um, yeah, from an exercise class to a bass tournament, has been, been pretty much postponed or canceled. We just had the Wild West Bass Trail did their second uh, JT um, tournament for us, and they, they raised they raised a, a great. I think it was around, almost around twelve thousand dollars, in which Jeremy from Wild West, uh, you know, automatically he knows. I just said to send it to send it to Pittsburgh, man. You know, um, <laughs> you know, just straight send it to Pittsburgh, dude. Um, and and you know the 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 fishing world, I mean, they've they've always been there. I think right at the beginning, I knew they're. I told Tara they're always going to be there. So let's get all this local community stuff working right now, and then the fishing guys are going to be there forever. And and um, the whole fishing community, everything from like Todd Woods. Oh my, Todd Woods. I mean, he's he's raised JT like sixty thousand dollars already. He's relentless. Oh, he's relentless. That's it's awesome. it's amazing. Yeah. What a guy, dude. Yeah, he's one of my best friends, and he's just an awesome dude. Not to mention, he's one of the best fishermen on the West Coast, and he's just he's he's just like family to us. And it's it's uh, this that's just everyone's like family to us, and, and Todd's just in there too. And it just it's endless. I don't even want to like get into names because I feel bad because I'll leave someone out. But sure. there's been so many people that have came and helped us, and um, you know we got right now coming up. Unfortunately, we his we had this big golf tournament. I was gonna actually have some select some sports celebrity guys there some Niners players and stuff, but it got canceled. It's postponed, it's postponed till next spring. Now um, we get it. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just, they can't sure. have them. Um, but we do have coming up next week. Um, next week, we're going to be working on the Jersey raffles. I got fishing jerseys. I got two Aaron Martin's jerseys. I, I can go on and on. John Murray, Skeet Reese. I got, these are all donated. Um, MDJ stuff. And we're going to do like one a week on uh, eBay. So, if anybody's listening and you're ever dreamed of having that, whatever, something framed in your house or whatever, that kind of thing. And these are, some of these are old Bassmaster jerseys, the real ones. But, and, um, if you ever thought of wanting to get one, this is the time. So in order to, in order to pay attention and know we're going to do it, got to follow JT on social media. Cause that's where we're going to first put it out there. And, um, yeah, we got like a, just an, an awesome bunch of jerseys. I got, you know, I got some stuff from, Come from the Niners, come from the San Jose Sharks. I got uh, Dodgers stuff. Um, yeah. Cool, uh, man. That's and, awesome. And, uh, that, that, so that's what we're doing. It's online stuff. We can't have a, a big party or do anything like that. So we're doing some online stuff. And, we, you know, still got the media involved. Uh, I'm getting, I get, I get messages from our, not our local news, but, you know, other media, if there's any updates, and I, you know, you don't want to overdo it with them. You want to save it for that one moment where you need them. And, um, so we're not done. We're fighting, and, and we ain't done. We're going to beat this thing. I just, you know, just got to keep our head down and stay positive, and, you know, we're going to have our tough times, our tough days. We're going to have hard days, but once we get past those, we'll be all right. Right on. Where, do, where do people find the uh, jersey raffle or jersey uh, sales? Where is that going to be at? Um, well, we're going to start – it's going to be on – they're going to be on eBay – 
It's pretty much how uh, we're, okay. we're playing on deal. We're doing it on eBay. I have a friend of mine that's going to be running the whole thing. Will Duncan, actually, um, that's uh, he's one of the he's definitely one of your biggest fans for this podcast, too. Heck um, yeah, I messaged him. Yeah, yeah, he's cool, cool guy, man. One of my best buds. He's he's an awesome guy. So he's going to be kind of really handling it as far as the the shipping and all that. He, all the jerseys are at his house. We're going to do a video. And if you want, anybody wants to know where they can know when they're going to come up, you can go just. Follow JT at it's at JT Barofka on Instagram at JT Barofka on Facebook or you can go to my Instagram which is just Jason Barofka or my uh, Facebook at Jason Barofka and I will share all those on all of that as soon as they start coming up. Cool, cool man. I'll make sure to throw that in the show notes too for everyone that listens on iTunes. They'll be able to just click that link uh, to right to his pages. So. Uh, that'd be awesome, other, man. Awesome. Heck yeah, it'd be be easy. One other way uh, you mentioned that you know just ultimately that you can't help JT is every single one of those uh, G rigs you build also is a, is a stream that ultimately goes towards you know JT. And uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your your bait company, what these rigs are, and uh, you know it, where where they can get them, what what makes them better than other rigs, and you know we we do a fair amount of umbrella rigging where we live and, and where we fish and you've got one actually designed for uh arizona waters pretty much it looks like yeah 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 absolutely we do and and um we started saying you know for for the g-rig company as far as it um, being able to help my son it's being to help me be at home and hopefully on my end I, it's a 50 50 with my business partner at least my end i'll be able to make enough a bunch of a lot of money so i keep funding and sending money over there so it's not like every G rig is sold. This goes to him. It's it's a uh, for sure. Our yeah, company. Yeah, thanks for it, it, it keep, Yeah, it's just it's just keeping me away from my real job and being in the hospitality yes. industry. So I'm here. But G G Funk Bates. Oh my gosh, we uh, we had this thing going seven years ago, and it started out. Uh, I basically went and bought a couple hundred dollars worth of the highest high end swivels, highest most expensive wire I could find, and brought it over to my my buddy's house. Uh, Tom, um, and I said, Tom, man, I need, I, I need one built for Lake Havasu. This is how it started. I was like, I got to have one built for Lake Havasu. I need to have two hooks. I want this to look like this. And uh, he's like, all right, man, let's do it. And he put it together. And I had like, I think I had about 12 of them, took them over there. And with the, with the just for this example, for this one, Arizona um, laws is two hooks and you know, any other rig at that time, most of them, they all had five wires and all the wires were the exact same length. And, and, uh, before I went over there and before we built this, I watched a video from my other friend, Matt Allen, he's the most tactical bassman. This is years ago. He put out this first video on umbrella, rigs, how to break them down and kind of dismantle them, how he likes to do it. So, I watched that video. I saw some tips, and I said I came up with a great idea. Let's let's uh, cut off all the snap clips, all that. Let's put swivels on there, split rings, and I want a short center wire because we don't need it because I only need two hooks. So the bottom two are longer, the middle one's short, and then the two top ones were a little bit longer. So what that did was that put that little swim bait right in the middle of the rig, and and I had the lightest wire I could possibly get away with and the most expensive hardware and that thing and the springs on the top where the teasers are we just put springs so you don't have to actually put like a jig head in it we put a spring on there and you could just screw lock the little baits on so basically we have a, a, a small little rig 
and you just add two swim baits to it, and it was so lightweight and just just so subtle. It was like it just blew everything away. And when I went over there, I remember having that tied on, and I I knew I knew how it was you know decent. I just remember having it tied on on the deck, and I started the morning practice, and it was just like boom, it was wide open, and I was like, man, the bite's really on, you know, and I. I remember going back to the hotel room, and I don't really listen to the doc talk stuff, but, you know, you get back, and the guys are like, you know, typical Havasu in February or January, it's tough, and and uh, everybody's like, man, I can't get bit, I can't get bit, I can't get bit, and I talked to a couple of my guys I know that throw rigs, I'm like, how you doing? They're like, dude, I got like one fish, and I was like, dude, I just, I can't believe it, I'm catching, you know, I'm getting bit, so I went back out there with the shrink tube over the hook, so I didn't hook anything, the whole practice, I don't barely think I threw another lure. And I was getting like 20, 25 bites a day. And then I started off the tournament, just smashed them. By day two, I was in second place behind Billy Skinner. And, uh, and, and that was it, you know, went out the last day, didn't do that good. Um, didn't do any good, but I still, I just remained being in second and, and, uh, I finished the tournament out in second place. And then I remember my co-hangers talking about it. They're just like, dude, this guy had this rig, man. He was catching like 20, 25 fish a day. And people are struggling to catch five, and uh, and uh, and the, all of a sudden people are coming to my hotel room, and they're just like, "Hey, man, can I buy the rest of those?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'm not coming back here for a while. You know, I'm not going to use these in California." So I sold them all, and then I came back and told Tom, "Let's, what do you think?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's do something." You know, and that's how it started. And his nickname was G Funk in high school, so that's why I called it. We called it G Funk Bates. And when I was on on stage. When I was on stage, uh, I was all, it's the G-Rig. You know, I was like, threw my hands up, it's the G-Rig. You know, just kind of <laughs> joke, you know. And then so it stuck. And it, it is, it's kind of funny name in a way for people the first time. They're like, what is that? How do you come up with that? Well, that's how we came up with it. See, and I then, thought you just liked West Coast hip hop, dude. I thought it was like the G-Funk from like 213, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, you know, Warren, all that. So I'm glad you told the story because I thought that's where that was going. Yeah. Well, that's all he listened to in high school. That's why they nicknamed him. There it's from. Okay. So. <laughs> it does originate from that. That's cool. Well, it's a yeah, memorable it name, does. dude. And there's no better way to like to, to gain confidence in a bait or, or whatever than to see it like firsthand, especially the first time you throw it. What uh, What do you think it is? You know, like what's what's the most key component to this rig? Uh, to to why it's better than a lot of other umbrella rigs out there? Is it the light wire like? I, I know everything's important, man. Super high end swivels, yeah, and yeah. like you said, just having the right the the wires be the right length so it's it's balanced. Uh, the fish aren't eating the dummies all the time, and and it's just easier to rig, quicker to rig. But do you think that the light wire gives it more action? Yeah. So so definitely um, the lighter wire is, is is key with this. But you know anyone go buy a lighter wire rig, but if you if you actually tested the length of the wire, so if the shorter the wire, the less it bounces, right? Okay. The longer the wire, the more it flexes. And if you're trying to target a weight, like say I like to put quarter-ounce ones on or eighth-ounce, you're trying to target that right with the right size, small, compact swim baits, up to like a, like a 4.8 Kitec, you know, something really much bigger than that. You want to have the right bounce to it. And this thing, I could rig a typical Cali rig, which was our one of our best sellers out here in California. Um, it, it you just reel it and it's it's all about the light wire you're able to pop the rod and it just it flows it just it just pops back and forth and then on top of that this rig has 
not only does it have owner, I mean, it's all, all owner hyperwire components, but the swivels are very expensive. The ones that connect to the blades, that allows it to be, you can put light, light weights on it, reel it super slow, and those blades are just purring. Nice. Or you can go down deeper, and they're just, they're just going. You don't have to burn it. You don't have to pull it. You don't have to do anything like that. Uh, and also, you know, let's just say, let's say this happens to your first initial cast. You, you got a dock, and you cast your your umbrella rig, and it lands, and it lands upside down. And if you're in California or Arizona or a state that doesn't allow hooks, you have teasers. It lands upside down. If you have cheap hardware versus expensive, like, swivels, you as soon as you start to reel, if you have nice stuff, that thing will, re- will correct itself in the first reel handle. If you have cheap stuff, um, it will just, it'll, it might take a long time for it to go turn roll over. So you might be halfway down that dock before the whole thing rolls over. At that time, you could have missed a bite. Uh, or another thing is, too, with this rig, with it being all this high-end stuff on it and premium wire, premium components, it, you put it away, you pull it out, it's just like you bought it. You know, it's just like you open the pack. It's still, it's still good. I, I don't know how many times I had my other old versions and other rigs and put them away, and you pull them out, and they're kind of got like blue, crusty on it. Um, you know, one blade's not spinning, or you know, those kind of things. Those are like the old, you know, before I started building, we build our own. Uh, all that said, and there's so much more to this thing from the even the crimp alone. We've changed crimps, and now we up to right now we have a custom crimp where. All five wires perfectly fit in there. There's a custom. You can't. I can't tell you what we do to it, but we have it done. But it, and um, if you cut it apart, you won't be able to see because it's all smashed down anyway. But all the wires are perfectly aligned in there. Nothing's crisscrossed. We figured out every single reason why one of these things would break. That was a main reason why. Was anybody that wants to build their homemade rig? They just shove them in a in a oversized crimp that's loose, and they just smash it down. You know. And these things are perfectly fit, perfect in there. There's no wiggle room. Even when you stick the wires in there, you can hold it, hold it up, and the wires won't fall out before it's crimped. And then it's crimped down. Just that, that alone is amazing. And these new ones, we've wanted to do this for a long time. Um, you guys know what temp, like tempered wire is? Were you, were you You're actually, talking to the wrong guys here, man. Yeah. I, I, I can't speak okay. for them, but I don't. Okay. Okay. So no, tempered wire, what, what the our, ours now are all tempered. So what we do before these things are crimped down, the wire is formed, each arm is formed the way we want it to, and then it's heated up electronically and then cooled down over a slow process, and it gets a super thin wire that we have, and it makes it 10 times stronger. And this thing, this these ones right we have now, these are the bulletproof new rigs. We've, we went, even the shrink tube alone, and people go, why would you even put my cousin just the other day? He's all, just give me one. I'll just buy one. You don't need to put the shrink tube on the front. I'm like, no, you don't get it. I was like, that shrink tube that we put on that covers that main crimp, where, right where you tie the line to, is actually extra soft. It, it's soft but durable. And that, that if, if you picked up a, a rig and you made a bad cast and your line got caught between the wires, this happens to everybody. It's happened to me between the wires, if you're using fluorocarbon, not braid, fluorocarbon and mono, and you make a cast and you're fishing, sometimes you won't know it's, it's caught around the wire and you'll actually fray or bend your line if you have those like plastic, some of the plastic fish heads. I'm not going to say all, everyone, because I don't want to talk about everybody's, but those little uh-huh. plastic fish head. 
you can get it caught there and it'll, it, it's plastic. It'll fray your line or even the shrink tube itself can be shrunk incorrectly and get hard, especially in cold water, and that will fray and kink your line. But we have a shrink tube that's, when you feel it, it feels like kind of like velvet and it's soft and it, it, it doesn't affect your line if you get, if that is the problem. So there's just so many little details that we, we picked apart with this thing, especially with the wire length. Right away, you'll, you'll, when you pick up a Cali rig, or we call it the Bama, not Alabama, it just starts with a B, um, the center wire is longer than the other shoulder wires, we call them. So you want, we try to funnel the fish directly to that middle wire the most. That's the strongest part of any rig. And uh, the whole thing is just, is just designed in all these different ways we thought about it, and we're still changing stuff. We're still evolving. Um, even the little tiny crimp that's on the wire holding the blade down there. That was a Berkeley seven-strand crimp. Um, we just found out and that Berkeley actually stopped um, making that Berkeley seven-strand crimp. So we spent a month researching and finding out where they got it made so we have the exact same crimp again because we really like that one because we put it away in the box, you pull it back out, it's still nice and clean and black and doesn't affect the swivel at all. But all of that said, man, there's a lot to it. They're also... They're, they're, there, we have people helping us build them, but the final assembly is in either Tom's hands or my hands as of right now, the final assembly. And we also have new crimps that when you know a crimper, when we pressurize that thing down, it's exactly, the dial is exactly the same every crimp. So it's not just we're putting them in a big crimper and sitting there and smashing it. You don't know how much crimp pressure you got. We know exactly now how much we got, so there's no error. So there's your there's your G-Rig, man. It's it's a... Even the and oh and besides the owner stuff that's that comes from Japan, the entire components, even the bag and the label, are made in the USA. Cool. Beautiful, awesome. Where, that's a big deal, man. Where can you get them, Jason? Yeah, and 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 uh, and you know, we just set a huge order tackle warehouse. Um, I actually just got a message from them. Um, by the time this podcast uh, gets on and uh, comes out. Uh, you'll be able to place an order with them. If you get the last time we sent an order in, they sold out in like two and a half days. So uh, we just we we got a bigger one there. They're expecting. They're filling back orders right now. But if anybody ever wants to order one, um, there there's some obviously the tackle warehouse is like the Amazon of bass fishing now. And then we also have a, a, an array of stores. Um, you can go on our on our website or actually our social media, and we're gonna be sharing all the uh, stores and the new stores coming. They want to carry it, and you guys can. Um, anyone could order them, but if you if you see it out of stock on Tackle Warehouse, if you just place an order, it will fill as soon as we ship it to them. So there yes, you go. <laughs> cool. Right yeah, gonna, hey, we're gonna send we're gonna send you guys some too. I told you I was like, you know, I want you guys to check them out. He Thanks, tried, man. Maybe I can try to send he, some, and I was too caught up in my tournament to. <laughs> to uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, Jason, yeah, you got to you got to stay away from those little little tur- little turkey shoot tournaments you're in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got all those hundreds of ten pounders. I'd like to get one ten pounder, so you can go ahead and send me Josh's G rigs as well, and uh, I'll use them for him. <laughs> you can, that's fine. That's fine, man. Nick 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 needs one. Rob and I have have some already, so. Uh, yeah, maybe you guys uh, let me hold yours someday. <laughs> Well, Jason, that's awesome, dude. Uh, that was kind of a, a cool little lesson on uh, umbrella rigs and, and uh, stuff like that. And, dude, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on one of those and swimming around this fall and winter. I mean, that time of the year is really coming up. So 
Uh, it's going to be really important to be loaded loaded up with that stuff by the time October hits because we were, I was talking about this with my buddies in the house earlier, who, who Roy is one of them, Jason. I know you mentioned him in the, uh, the uh, show a little bit ago, but uh, if you are gearing up for a certain season of fishing, you've got to gear up like a few months before because if you wait till October or November, like – it's that's yeah. when stuff gets sold out for throwing an umbrella <laughs> ring. So now in the summertime, before guys are throwing them like crazy, is the time you need to stock up. Yes, absolutely. This is the time. It's insane, and they're they're available. And and the, the like you said, everything else that goes with them, your swim baits, your jig heads, the the sizes you want for all that are are available. This stuff gets gets going. You know, we got the U.S. Open coming up too. I'm sure you're going to be there. I uh, I'd imagine that um, unless it conflicts. Yeah, with, yeah, most likely, on, man. But, but dude, the rig is deadly there. It doesn't matter if it's hot. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, when, uh, you know, Nick Salvucci. I mean, he won the last one. The one before that, um, he did good. He was using our rig too. I, I, I finished right. I was fortunate to finish right behind him in third, and and I just used the rig the whole time. Um, All three and, days, uh, dude. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I had the last day I had to clean up and try to. I think I think I, I'll be honest with you. I think the last day I think I had to weigh a couple little smallies on the jig, but. Um, you know, day two, I was ahead. I was leading, the, or the first day of the tournament, I was leading the first day with the rig, and then it kind of, but yeah, I mean, I've caught them out there, Lake Mead, man, we had a wild time, it was like, the water was like 100 degrees, it felt like, and they were smashing that thing. Jason, how do you fish that in that ultra clear water? Are you, are you just buzzing it, moving it quick, are you letting it sink to the bottom and reeling it, and what type of rig are you throwing it on? What type of rod and line and reel? Uh, I throw I throw mine on a, a Dobbins 795 Fury rod, which is actually their cheaper line of rods. For some reason, I just like that one for the rig only. Like I just like that, and I'm I'm using a, a large 300 size um, swimbait reel, a six to one, and I like 20 pound fluorocarbon. That's that's my go-to now. I I stay away from the braid. I, I throw I throw braid about maybe 10 percent of the time. Something when I'm really shallow around heavy cover in certain lakes. But as far as in that clear water. Um, I forgot to mention too, our rigs come in two different wire colors. So we have a camo wire and a silver wire. And for me personally, in the clear water, I like that silver wire. I think it really um, shines and glows and it looks really natural in that crystal clear water and that, that clean background. Because most of the time I'm going really fast with it in clear water and it's really hot. The water's hot. I'll burn that thing. I'll put some heavier weights on it and I'll burn it right along just steep bluffs and shade. And um, it's all about timing at that point in summer and i like to just reel it really fast in the clear water and then also in the, if you're going to go if you're in dirtier water shallower water grassy lakes heavy cover lakes where you have that kind of dark background or maybe some tannic water um you, you kind of want that camelish looking background now is it, it doesn't matter it matters to me but it doesn't matter to a lot of people like guys like, i just stick with the camel wire or the bronze you know we call it camel but like a bronze wire or some guys just go, I just like the silver wire. It's a, it's a preference. But for me personally, I, I really think it does make a difference. I think a, a nice hot, high sunny day. I really think that shine, it kind of reflects off of everything going on. It just looks like a glowing ball and you got two, two or three bigger baits behind it. And, um, they, you know, they're, they're small compact. I try to explain like when I'm doing a seminar, I try to explain to everybody, Hey, this is basically like a spinner bait, you know? I don't know too many guys, and someone's going to listen to this and be like, I do it. I don't know too many guys that go out there and tie 65-pound braid on their on their, their uh, spinner bait at Lake Mead and throw it out there, you know. I mean, nope. it, it works, but it works, but 
let's you know let's this is just a this basically it's a larger version of that and yeah i get i get really picky i i've i've tried to think about um braided line actually when you're reeling it zips and and sure when there's does. a lot of he- heavy pressure um clear lake and stuff that's why i kind of got away from it everyone was throwing 65 80 pound braid and they're reeling it and it is actually vibrating and and it makes a zipping noise. You got all these zipping rollers coming by, and then all of a sudden you've got something just smooth and silent, and it just sneaks up on them, kind of like a, kind of like a rattling, a deep diving crankbait has a rattle, and then the, then the KVD switches it up to a non one and goes, yeah, that's like you know bigging, you know that's, that's kind of like uh, the same thing with the the umbrella rig is, and also with non blades and blades too. So something to think about there. You know, sometimes a non blade version. Um, I'll always have, if I'm in a tournament and, and, and it's heavy pressure, I'm always going to have a non-blade rig rigged up with the same stuff. And I, if I pound the bank and I'm running, they're not biting anymore. I will always take one lap through there with a non-blade and try to pick one off or two. Good stuff, man. Awesome. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, dude, yeah, that, uh, the listeners will appreciate that. And we do too. Actually, we all learned something there. Uh, so yeah, cool. so thanks for sharing with us today, man. Yeah, no problem. Like, yeah. Get to, yeah. I, I told you, give me talking, I won't stop. I'll just say, well, that's a good thing, dude. That's, that's what we want. That's, that's exactly what we want. And that was actually some yeah. awesome info, dude. So, uh, but I know, you know, you're a busy guy and uh, we've already had an hour of your time. So, uh, do you guys, do you guys have anything else for Jason before we let him roll? I just want to say thanks for coming on and, uh, and good luck with everything coming forward. So, yeah, man, keep up the good fight. We, uh, we're inspired by you. We appreciate everything you're doing and uh, taking a moment to chat with us. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, thanks, Josh. I, I appreciate it. You guys give me a call anytime. I'm always available. So awesome. So. Well, yeah, we'd love to. You know, if you ever get another 30 minutes or hour down the road, we'd love to talk to you more, man. Because we didn't even scratch the surface really on uh, on a lot of the different stuff that we could talk about on the fishing side. And we're yeah. gonna want an update on JT too, man. So uh, thanks again, and um, I'll get with you, Jason, to get like I said to get all those uh, links for JT, and we'll throw them when we post this up. We'll include those, and we'll also uh, um, we'll post them with the show notes in iTunes, like I said. So um, thanks again, man. And uh, yeah, like, like, like the guy said, good luck with everything and we'll be following along. Great. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks you guys. See you. All right, Jason. Thanks bro. See you, All man. Right. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, guys. Thanks to Jason for coming on and chatting with us. Had a great time talking to him. And, uh, man, what a what a strong guy. What a strong family. Uh, if you get the chance, please go follow JT Barofka on Instagram and Facebook. And, um, man, re- really appreciate you guys, as always, listening every week. And we will talk to you again next week.